Well, good morning, Cornerstone. Hope all of you are doing well. I was getting ready to come up here, and I just happened to look down on my phone, and it said the end of February, and I can't even believe, even just a moment, that we're already approaching the month of March, almost a year kind of since we first were kind of reeling ourselves into what became a, a, a pandemic, but the greatness, the goodness of God, what they were singing about, it doesn't matter what the, what the time, the place, the events going on in this world, our God still reigns. Now, what we've been trying to do over the last few weeks, Christian started it off, we had Chris dive in there, Terry dive in there, is that we've been trying to focus on this idea of, of what does it really, what does it mean to walk as Jesus walked? We're building it out of 1 John 2, 6, where it said, hey, those who abide in Jesus ought to walk as Jesus walked. That's, that's, there's a call for us as followers of Jesus. And so what I've been trying to do in the times that I've been kind of working this through, the last times I've, two times I've spoken, I've tried to kind of work through this idea of, of growing and maturing first for and, and, and also in a primary way in our love for Jesus Christ. I think this is what, when we, when we look at Scripture, we understand Scripture, is this is what it means now to be, to be pushed or propelled into walking as Jesus walked. We cannot walk as Jesus walked apart from, from that primary love being in our lives. But I also tried to emphasize that it's not just that. It's that as our lives become, as our hearts become to gravitate in this first love, what starts to happen to us is we start to become imitators of him. Why? Because the thing that we love the most, we, we always imitate it. It doesn't matter. It's always going to kind of go that way. So two weeks ago, like I said, we, we started in Luke 14. We, we, we kind of tried to work through, I think, one of the more difficult places in all of Jesus' teaching where he, he laid out this idea of, of what the cost of discipleship was. But really at the core of it, this cost of discipleship has everything to do with a primary love. And he even says in there, if, if you don't have that primary love, well, you, you, you can't be my disciple. I think in a pretty unique way, what it means is we don't have the ability to walk as Jesus walked. And then last week when I preached out of Luke 18, we learned that, that, that why we don't walk as Jesus walked. We, we don't walk as he walked because we have other loves, the other things that distract us, other things that get in the way, other things that don't let us see the greatness and goodness of Jesus. In fact, those other loves, what they do, and, and I think this was the core of it, is that they blind us. They hinder us from truly being able to be the people God's called us to be. For sure, I, I don't want anybody to leave here thinking that, that people that follow Jesus don't struggle. We struggle every single day. But man, aren't you just thankful that first of all, he first loved us, poured his love into our hearts, and now we are this group that's beginning over time to just learn more and more and more what it means to not only walk as Jesus walked, but, but also what flows from that or what, what pushes that forward is that we have a love for him. Now here's where I want to kind of go this morning, just so you can kind of, kind of get an idea of it. I think over the last two weeks, it's kind of been a little bit abstract. It's, it's kind of had this idea, we've looked at it, but what I want to do today is I want to just drill into, into looking at three specific people. I want to zero in on them. We're going to first look at two ladies that you're going to see an example of, of these two women that had a primary heart for Jesus Christ. This primary heart then, it compelled them in love to then begin to walk as Jesus walked. 
But then I want you to watch this as the text develops. You're gonna see on the other end of it what their lives then begin to look like. What do lives even look like that walk as Jesus walked? And then I'm gonna grab a guy out of the text we're looking at in John, and we're gonna even see that what happens when we don't have that primary love for Jesus Christ, what it then looks like when we, what, when we don't walk as Jesus walked. And then I also want you to see there's this outcome that I think is so important for us to watch. So that's what we're gonna kind of do today. We're gonna look at these lives. We're gonna see how our primary love for Christ transforms us. It allows us to walk as Jesus walked. But then I want you to see this. It also shows us what loving others rightly actually looks like, what it looks like now to be these people that walk as Jesus walked. Now, if you've got your Bibles, you can open up to John 12. That's where we're gonna be today. We're gonna kind of start there. We're gonna, we're gonna reverse a little bit into chapter 11. So you can turn there with me if, if you've you got your Bibles. But to appreciate kind of something that we're gonna look at, we're gonna look at a meal that was taking place, a meal that actually has a pretty special significance. But we need to first begin to understand kind of what was going on in the world at that time so that we can kind of see what, was, what it was that made this, this, this place that they gathered together this meal so special. What we know about this meal is that it's a, it's a dinner that's celebrating Jesus Christ Specifically what he had done in, in chapter 11 is he had just raised Lazarus from the dead. And so they decided, well, let's have a dinner. But in the world at that time, let's, let's kind of start outside of it. The Passover was coming in verse 55. We can see this, that somehow in there, there was a, a conspiracy that had been growing. That was, they basically, they were going after Jesus. They were going to kill him. And everybody knew it. It just kind of hung in the air. There was conversations everywhere. We can see this in verse 56 almost. They're asking, man, do you think Jesus is really gonna come to Jerusalem? Verse 57, we find the religious leaders were asking anyone who saw him to turn the villain in. I mean, they had, they had put out the APB. They were trying to find him. If they could have, I think they would have put wanted posters all over saying, see this man, there's almost reward, even though there was no reward for it. The city, the whole area, I think was just on edge. It was filled the capacity as more and more people came to celebrate. And that was what was going on outside. Everything seemed so out of control. It seemed chaotic. It seemed unnerving. But then in another setting, we come into this little tiny room, this room where people were gathering to eat. In the midst of all the intrigue, in the midst of all the scheming, what John tells us in verse one is that there's this dinner that's being held. It's being held by a dude named Simon the leper to honor Jesus' raising of Lazarus. You see that in verse three. And so with all the turmoil, all the tension, all the intrigue, the APBs that are out there, everything in the text John does, he just isolates in and he's gonna give us a picture. And I think for us, again, is what we're studying, I think he's gonna give us a glimpse of what it means to walk as Jesus walked. So let's kind of look at this, these three people, these three examples, and let's really look at, number one, not only, not only how they walked as Jesus walked, how it came from a heart of love, but what was the outcome of their life? And the first person that I wanna kind of bring to the surface is Martha, found in verse two. And I love Martha. But one of the kind of fascinating things is John made sure to highlight, look at this, that they gave a dinner for him, which is Jesus that was there, and catch this, Martha served. That's, 
If you look down, that's all it said about her. But I think these two words are absolutely loaded with significance as we, we try to understand how a primary love for Christ transforms us and, and allows us to walk as Jesus walked. And again, taking it the next step so that we might then love others rightly. You see, the thing that we know about Martha, if you were to kind of just sit down and you were to study scripture kind of from the front end of the gospels to the other, is Martha loved to serve. From what we kind of glean from the Bible, man, she was in her element when she was serving people. She was a guest. We can see that from John 12 in, the, in Simon the leper's house. But it didn't matter to her, man. She was a woman in charge and she intended to serve. And every time again that we run into this lady, that was her heart. Now in the back of your head, you're going, okay, why is this so stinking significant that we're trying to wrestle this? Okay, so what? She was serving. Who cares? Well, in this case, it isn't so much what is said that's important in this particular text for what we're trying to wrestle with. I think it's more important what isn't said that's important. In fact, sometimes as you study scripture, it's not only the things that are said in that particular text, but to really kind of pull out some nuggets that are amazing. And I'm not talking about reading between the, with the white, but just those things that, that aren't said, they're important as we kind of look down inside of the text. Now, let me see if I can show you so you can kind of get what I'm talking about. From what we know about history at this particular time, she had probably gotten up the night before. She was getting things ready so that early in the morning she could kind of stoke and fire up the oven, get everything going. If you can almost think like Easter time, all day like the aroma of a, of a celebration meal would have wafted through room to room all over the house. I sometimes wonder, again, even as I've been studying this, would different people have tried to sneak inside the kitchen to kind of get little bits and morsels to be able to take out with them as they walked by, and she shooed them out the kitchen. She would have been, and if we kind of understand this correctly, bringing all the family recipes to bear. She was gonna make a meal for a man that she loved, the man that raised her brother from the dead. And while she loved to do this, we also find out she was going to enjoy every second of delivering course after course of her cuisine to Jesus and all of his followers. And no doubt, if they're anything like me, man, I would have loved it too. Here's Martha. She's doing her thing. She was in her wheelhouse. And for what we can tell, everybody in the room was enjoying it. She had created this environment in which everyone was absolutely flourishing. Also, what we don't see, but I think it's important to this, and this is what I want to try to draw out, was the way that she was serving the meal. It was so different than another meal that didn't happen much longer before this. In that particular time, she had also created a meal. She had put it all together, and it's recorded in the Gospel of Luke. It was supposed to be, again, a special dinner. Now, during this past event, though, what happens is she's got a, Mary, a sister, Mary, that we're going to talk about here in just a little bit. But Mary had drifted off, and she was trying to figure out what she, where she was. She finds her now at the feet of Jesus, and she furiously walks in there, and she begins to plead. And, and, and this is what he records in Luke 10, 40. Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Whoa. If you've ever been on the other side of that, 
you know it ain't good. She was in many ways kind of the, the mama bear of the little family that included Lazarus and Mary and her. And if you've ever heard the statement before, you know, when mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Well, I think in the same way, when Martha ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. And this dinner that was supposed to be festive, a celebration went from great to awful. But in that moment, Jesus tenderly admonished her in verses 41 through 42. Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary's chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. You talk about a moment that was just weird for both Martha and I think even probably for Mary. But I think what we see in that moment was is that Martha's primary love was not Christ. She hadn't chosen, if you look down in the text, the good portion to use Christ's words. And Jesus' point wasn't that Mary sitting at the feet was somehow like doing a better thing, which we'll talk about in a second. His point, I think, in there was that Martha's heart was just on the wrong thing. To use the idea maybe of last week, Martha was just absolutely blinded by other loves. Specifically, you can see it in here, is that she was blinded by the task. And in being blinded by the task, she erupted and this meal just became a disaster. And by the way, I seriously think this, and I see this in my own life, and I see this in other people's lives. It seems whenever our eyes get off of Christ, when our primary love isn't on Jesus, always on the tail end of that is gonna be a disaster. When we get enamored with other things, it's always a mess. However, I want you to go back with me now to this celebration, this particular dinner in John's Gospel. Because this is what you need to notice, the thing that's not there. Things were different. Even though Mary, who you can see this in here, probably has been helping serve the meal. She'd wandered back off to the, to the feet of Jesus. But do you notice something that's not said? It never says anything that I can see here that Martha complained. Mary did the exact same thing, but Martha, what'd she do? She just kept right on going. That's what isn't said in the text so what had happened to her then between these two feasts? What happened to her in this one in which the whole dinner exploded and this other one now, which it just seems to be there's so much life and flourishing. Everything is, is going well. There's no doubt when you look down there, Martha's circumstances were the same. But this is what I want you to catch. She wasn't. She was changed. She caught what Jesus had said to her on this earlier occasion. You see, Jesus never told her somehow that she was supposed to, to, to become Mary, sitting at his feet. She got that Jesus' insistence was that Mary had chosen the good portion, but that didn't mean that serving the kitchen, that going out and serving tables was wrong, which, by the way, that's a great thing, because if I look down here and I see this, everybody would have starved. She got that Jesus was saying to her, Martha, you're stressed. Your hectic life, your miserable attitude is just a symptom of something bigger. You've lost your first love. She'd have vowed her first love to no longer be pointed towards Christ. Now it's just pointed towards the task. But now in this moment with her loves kind of righted, focused upon Jesus, she must have learned that service can be just as much worship as sitting at the feet of Jesus. 
And this is where we find her. That's what she's doing. And she was walking as Jesus walked. As a kid, I remember seeing a sign hanging over the top of one of my, uh, one of my friends in the, in the kitchen. And this is what it said. It said, divine service held here three times daily. That's so true. I think it also apply while, you know, laboring at the work site or at the office. It happens when we work on cars. It, it's divine service that happens when we take tests. Or maybe you're a teacher and you have to grade the test. I used to have a grade test. That was a, that was a work of divine nature to sometimes, sometimes go through them. I think what I'm saying is it's not just the churchy spiritual things. It's kind of those, I guess it's just those everyday things that happen all throughout our life. I think this is what I want us to see when we look down there. Walking as Jesus walked occurred or occurs now in all these different facets. It becomes the driving force, the primary force behind it, no matter what we're doing. In this case, Martha learned from Jesus when her, when her loves were rightly directed, but her worship was no different than Mary's. You are my posture of love, I think, towards Christ and the task and that's the defining factor. The task is not primary. Our love for Christ is. And as you kind of look at the life of Martha throughout the Gospels, this made all the difference. She got it. She was growing. She was developing. She was capturing a greater love for Jesus Christ, and it showed. However, this is what I want you to do. I want you to think through the result Again, I brought up the beginning of this, just all the tension that was going over all over Judea at the time. The meal, I think, would have been like this amazing oasis from all the stress. I'm just imagining all the people that are sitting there. And here's Martha going in and bringing life, thriving, flourishing all over the place. It must have felt so different. It was good friends. It was, it was good food. I was imagining just even this week, like all the conversations that were going around the table. Like I would have loved to have been there when there's Lazarus who get raised, gets raised from the dead and, and Simon the leper, who's now the ex-leper. And they're sitting there going back and forth of what Jesus had done in their lives. I'm sure Simon says, man, you wouldn't believe this, man. Out of nowhere, here comes Jesus, and he comes up, and he engages me and touches me, and I, I saw the scabs. They just absolutely fell off my hand. My nubby fingers from wearing things down from it have begun to, to grow back. They grew right back into the place they were supposed to be. I was healed. And there they are laying around at this table, and Lazarus goes, Simon, that's nothing, man. I mean, that's cool and all, but don't get me wrong. I was dead for four days. But when they removed those, those burial clothes from me, and as I walked out of the tomb, I saw Peter's eyes, and they were as big as plates. I just think around that table, there was laughter, there was joy. It was just right. There was love, there was flourishing, it was thriving. And here's what I want you to catch. The creator of that environment was a woman that was gripped by a maturing and a growing love, a primary love for Jesus Christ. She walked as Jesus Christ walked. And everywhere she went through the house, life sprung up. Everyone was thriving. 
let me just stop telling this story for just a second. I wanna, I wanna ask you a question that's been going on inside of my heart. I, I wanna make sure that I get it right here. When you enter a room, do people flourish? Do they thrive? I'm gonna come back to this in a little bit at the very end when we kind of ask ourselves some questions. But I was thinking about it from my standpoint that there are so many times that I approach my marriage, I approach my family, my friends, my neighbors, my job with my love on the absolute wrong thing and generally it's on, it's on myself. And how come, oh my gosh, like I can even think this week, there's so many times when my love was not focused on Jesus Christ and just the chaos that it brought into what I was doing. However, when my heart, when you look down at this text, is just enamored with Christ, I, I look at people and I'm able to see tasks differently. When I'm prepping to speak, and this is one of the things I was focused on this week, and Christ is at the forefront of my mind, my message will be one that brings life to others, even, even if I have to, in this, to say hard things. When I'm sitting across from someone and, you know, and I, I'm talking about, I don't know, it could be anything. But Christ then is my primary love. My mind isn't what I can get out of them, but how I might cause them in whatever that we're talking about to thrive, to flourish in the world that God has placed them in. When my kids aren't acting like, like they're supposed to. Another guy and I were talking about this before. I'm just like, oh, like, I think the problem is my kid, but it's not. I mean, you know, again, I just want to get back to this. It's not my kid, of course. Pastor's kids never struggle. But I think as I was thinking this, as I was coming up here tonight, I'm more concerned with serenity oftentimes than my kids flourishing and becoming who God created them to be. Martha, however, man, she was gaining this growing, this maturing love for Jesus. And everyone around her felt her walking like Jesus walked. And that's exactly what I think is loaded into just those two little words. So that's Martha. So what about Mary in verse three? How do we kind of see her love for Christ and empowered her to walk like Jesus walked and loving others rightly? Well, we know this again, just like the time before, at some point in the meal, as I said a second ago, Mary just kind of snuck off. Now, what's interesting, and I, and I really want you to see this, is she did it for an extremely cool reason. She intended to, I think, react and, or reenact something that we find back in Luke 7 of somebody else that came before Jesus that just had an extravagant love for him. In that particular instance back in Luke 7, or yeah, Luke 7, Jesus was also, he was reclining at the table, his feet would have been out. And he was sitting at the home of this, I don't, I don't know what to call him, he was, a, he was an inquisitive, kind of a curious Pharisee of sorts. And as they were reclining, in kind of snuck this prostitute. In her hand, she had a, a vial of perfume. And as she came to Jesus, she intended to anoint his head with it. But somewhere along the way, she lost control and she just began to weep. And as she's weeping over the feet of Jesus, which were dusty because the guy, the Pharisee that brought him in, didn't even bother to clean his feet. Little bits of mud just begin to grow on his feet. The prostitute obviously didn't know what to do. She, was, she falls at the feet of Jesus and she, she begins to use her hair, it says, to clean her feet. As she did, she was just 
You could just see that she was overcome with emotion. According to Luke, and I'll just read it to you, after she wiped his feet with her hair, she kissed them and poured perfume on them. It was beautiful. Now this event, it must have been emblazoned in the mind of Mary. You can see down in verse three, watch this with me. She, she leaves the room and she returns. Now watch this. She took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard, just like the prostitute, and anointed the feet of Jesus, just like the prostitute, and wiped his feet with her hair, just like the prostitute. Do you see how she was reenacting it? She, like the prostitute, she wanted Jesus to know how much she loved him too. And not only that, it wasn't just this impulsive act. She must have had everything there ready to go. She knew exactly what she was doing. Now, what I want to do is I want to draw, I think, two really powerful things that she did that are important as we're kind of wrestling with this thought of, okay, walking as Jesus walked, having this mind, now what's the result? Well, first we have to understand what, what, is, what is nard? Well, it's this oil that's extracted from a, a root and spike of what's called the nard plant. It's in, in places like over in like, like India. And what it was is it was a very expensive perfume. And what this example, I think, of Mary teaches us is that primary love, the love that we learned about last week in Luke 14 a few weeks ago, is costly. Love always costs. That's what I brought up. In fact, Judas in verse 5, look down there with me. He estimated the cost of the perfume to be 300 denarii. And you might be going, ooh, what does that mean? Well, let me connect this together with you, for you. If a denarius is one day's wage, okay, and we're talking about 300 denarii, that would be 300 days wages. Even if you took a conservative number built out of the, the minimum wage in California, which is $12 an hour, that means she would have been pouring about twenty-nine dollars or $30,000 of perfume on his feet. She was nothing like the rich young ruler that we talked about. And I think what we kind of draw out of this is that's so important is that Mary chose as she, lay, as she was bent before Jesus to give him the absolute best. If Jesus would have said to her, sell everything you are, give up your greatest possession, she would have done it in an absolute heartbeat. She would have said, no problem. And I think that's exactly what she does here. However, and I want to take this a little bit further. She got down on her knees and it says she, she, she loosened her hair. In the culture this time, women's hair was symbolic of what you would see in there, her glory. And so what this means is, is that she, as she cleaned Jesus' feet with her hair, she was actually cleaning Jesus' feet with her glory. And I love that. Mary was, you can just tell this, captured with a primary love for Jesus. And this is how she walked as Jesus walked. And what she did, and I think this is so huge, this beautiful thing was even greater than what she did before. Just like Martha, Mary had a growing, a maturing, 
love for Jesus. It just kept going on. That's what happens to people that walk as Jesus walked. Now let me connect this dot for you. We talked about this idea of walking as Jesus walked out of this, first love, or this primary love from G, for Jesus. So what was the result of her? And this is the second thing I want to draw out of it. This is one of my favorite bits of information in all of, of John. Look at the end of verse 3. The result of this act, the result of her having a primary love for Jesus that caused her to walk like Jesus walked. And then here's the action. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. See, Mary didn't just put a little dab of ointment on Jesus' feet. No, she cracked it open and she used the whole thing. And the outcome was is that she didn't only get to enjoy this moment of worshiping at Jesus, but what's so powerful about it is the aroma. It filled the whole house, just giving satisfaction to everyone that was there. Her loves, like Martha, were rightly focused. And the smell of this act of love, it just filled the room. I was even thinking about it. Like, how could this smell have filled the whole house? Did it just kind of permeate everything? And then it hit me. Everywhere that Mary went, because she had used her hair to, to clean the feet of Jesus, it had soaked into her hair. And wherever she went, the aroma just went with her. In that cool time, Mary's love for Jesus now began to bless everybody in the house. Like Martha, she created an environment of life for people so that they can thrive, so that they can flourish. That's what happens when we walk as Jesus. Things may be crazy outside, right? That's what we were talking about earlier. Things might be going crazy and cattywampus all around us because all of history at that particular point was moving towards the death of Jesus Christ. But for just a second, with each breath, each of them took in what they smelled and what they experienced was life. That's what happens when our hearts are given to Christ. That's the outcome. And that's what it looks like now when people walk as Jesus. But listen, and I, and I want you to also capture this because I want to take these two ladies so that we can see this. There's no doubt Mary probably did, and I wouldn't doubt if this was the most expensive possession that she owned, this act of worship to, to give him his primary love. But Martha didn't care about perfume from what we can tell. Martha didn't care about that. She, she loved to sweat. She loved to serve. Her sacrificial love of Jesus was this, this labor for others and it was just as pleasing to Christ, just as impactful to others as Mary's was sitting at his feet. See, I think sometimes what happens is we think, oh, the super spiritual people that really love Jesus, these ones that walk as Jesus walked, they just seem so near Jesus and they, they love to sit at his feet. But we find out from this text, no, it's not just them. It's also the people that serve with the same heart and the same mind and the same attitude of a primary love towards Jesus. I think in that moment, and I was trying to imagine it as as Martha stood there in front of Jesus, I would have, think he would have said, Martha, you've done the good portion. You don't have to be someone else. God intends to shape you and transform you, not to look like your sister, but to be the woman that he intends you to be. And these two sisters' hearts were growing, they were maturing towards in their love of Jesus, and what came from these women walking as Jesus walked? 
flourishing. I think their story is just powerful and it connects in there. Now the last person I want to look at is Judas. And I can already tell probably some of you as you hear that, you're like, oh, I know he's going to go negative. Like you don't hear the name Judas without going negative. Now what's so mystifying was that Judas, Judas saw the same thing. And to him, this was a gigantic waste in fact, John, somehow this stuck in his head because he writes the, the gospel of John much later. He's an old man, and somehow he remembers. Look at verse four. You can kind of catch this. Judas said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Like I was sitting there thinking, no doubt, man. This guy seems pretty impressive, doesn't he? I mean, he came across as sympathetic to the needy, to the marginalized. I mean, shoot, I think if I would have been sitting there, I might have gone, hey, yeah, like, wow, like, what's going on here? You, you know, he could be right. But John also knew, and he finds out later, because he didn't see it at the time, he was using kind of over-spiritualized language to disguise his primary love, which was greed. He was just like the rich young ruler, he was a man who was blind, but his blindness was even worse than this rich young ruler because we also learn when we get down to verse six, he was a thief. Now again, John didn't know it that night, but later he called, Jesus said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. This is crazy to me. He never encountered Christ, even though Judas literally lived almost every day with Jesus. Man, he had traveled with the gang. He must have been also along with them and, and done miracles and probably even cast out demons. But here's Judas who didn't have a primary love for Jesus. He didn't walk as Jesus walked. And what happens from his life? I think what it shows us here is he's just kind of a, a profile of destruction and even, you're gonna learn this, of damnation. He didn't bring life. He didn't bring flourishing. He didn't allow people to thrive. His primary love, and you can just see this as you kind of pull this out of the text, as you look even through the Gospels, absolutely was terrible. Material things had brought him to blindness. He couldn't see anything anymore. And because he was the treasurer, he knew that he could just kind of skim off kind of his ill-gotten share from the pot. He was so blind that he didn't even see it. But there's a progression that happens in Judas's life. See, I've always noticed this with people that they start to go down this path. I've even seen it again. In some ways, many of us can be Judas. But this moment that we lose our love for Jesus and we begin to act like we do, we kind of become a facade, we become posers, we, we act like something that we're not, it begins to lead into a spiral that just begins to devolve until it hits the very bottom of foolishness. Everything that we know about this is his whole life begin to move towards the greatest crime in history. You see, outside of the house, again, here he has this opportunity to bring life and thriving and flourishing inside of this home. But instead, he brings in what was happening out there, all those different things that were chaotic and out of control, and everything that was intensifying in the plot to murder Jesus. In verse 9, we learn he also is going to go along with this. It's connected to this, and this is why we know he's going along, because large crowds of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came. 
Not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom was raised from the dead. Man, we're going to check this out. So the chief priest made plans to kill Lazarus as well, for on count of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. Everything was being dragged along in this way. They decided that not only did Jesus have to go, but they had to kill the very one that was a testimony to the Messiahship of Jesus, this one Lazarus who he had raised from the dead. And nobody knew it except for Jesus. Lazarus was being seduced into their scheme. See, what's crazy about that moment is Mark in his gospel makes it clear that this may have been the very moment that tipped the scales for him to go along with the religious leaders in the betrayal of Jesus. Judas was this man, again, he was blinded by his other love money, love of money. He couldn't walk as Jesus walked. And instead of bringing flourishing like Mary and Martha did as we looked down in the text, in the midst of all the tension throughout Judea, he brought heartache, he brought death to himself and those in his circle. Loving other things, I think in the back of our head, we gotta get this, it's not just a bad idea. I mean, that's why I wanted to speak to this today. I think sometimes we say to ourselves, oh, what's the big deal? You know, I'm just kind of, I don't, I don't love him like I ought to. But the ramifications of this, I want you to see this, they're disastrous. This guy here was a transmitter of decay and death and everywhere he went, that's what he brought with him. See, what's so scary is that no one knew it and I even think sometimes as I study the life of Judas, I even wonder if he didn't know. But he didn't love Christ and what came from it was death. What came from it was destruction. See, this topic of what does it mean to walk as Jesus walked, to have our primary loves, it has definite consequences to it. There were two in this of these women that brought life and thriving to a place. And the outcome of someone's heart that isn't ingrained into Jesus, there is no good aspect on the other end of it. So here's how I want to finish this morning. What I want you to do is, is I want to just give you an opportunity to reflect. I want to ask you some questions in here that, that to be honest, I think I've been asking all week of myself. I've been asking myself, Todd, and so I'll ask it of you. Who are you more like? Are you more like Mary and Martha who walked as Jesus walked, bringing life and thriving and flourishing to others? Do your family and friends and neighbors and coworkers, even, coworkers, even those of them that are hard to love, do they experience life when you enter the room? Do you speak words into their lives, even hard, even hard to hear ones from a heart enamored with Jesus? In a world like ours that seems so out of control, are you a refuge of hope to the weary and the demoralized? Those questions have just been in the back of my head. And then I, I created some other questions. Or Todd, or again, you sitting there right now. Are you like Judas, who had the appearance of being a good guy, but you find yourself constantly stirring up trouble? Does your spouse or kids or family or friends or coworkers find you constantly being critical? Have you noticed that your influence on people draws them away from, not towards Christ? Do you find yourself regularly critiquing and demeaning others, even just in your head, because you have all the right answers, or so you think? Have you noticed that you say one thing to one person and another thing to another person because you don't want to look bad? 
Do you find yourself constantly airing your grievances and dissatisfaction in a world that's so full of tension? Do you amplify it? The crazy thing for me is I went through those questions. Was there some questions that I felt like Mary and Martha? And if I'm just being honest with you right now, some I really felt like I was Judas. I think in my own personal life, what it's led me to is not only a lot of repentance, but I think also just a sense of great gratefulness for the forgiveness from, for the forgiveness from God. But remember I said last week that there's something that's really important about repentance. When we find ourselves loving other things more than we do Jesus, we need to turn from those things. But just because we turn from those things doesn't mean somehow that we're going in the right direction. You can beat yourself up all you want. And trust me, there were so many times I was just thinking through my last week going, ah, what was I thinking? But after dealing with repentance and understanding the forgiveness that Jesus Christ gives to us, in that moment of turning as we learn that, we need to bring our hearts and our minds straight to Jesus. If you find yourself in some ways looking like him, the solution isn't just to be upset and broken. And, and no doubt this could be part of what goes on as you walk through this process, as I've said over and over again. But God isn't wanting us just to be broken and depressed and downtrodden over what we're doing. He wants to see us as a group of people that turn from those things, experience the joy of repentance and forgiveness, and place our eyes on Jesus and begin to return back into this maturing and this growing love of Jesus Christ, a love that stirs us and causes us to walk like Jesus did, and then to begin to come into other people's lives and bring flourishing and thriving and life. But I also, as I've been praying for everybody, my hope is that somehow that you won't just be somehow feeling like in being bad, you need to try harder. It's not about trying harder that's the key here. It's about love. This love is a gift from God. It's something that you can't stir in and of yourselves. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit, according to Galatians 5. It's something that God graces us, gives us as a gift. We don't love, but the only reason we love is because he first loved us. And so therefore, it's not about trying harder. It's about coming to the one who is love, who gives love as the means that we might be able to give love. And may this week, and that's what I pray for you, may you be a person who grows in your love of Jesus Christ, that it stirs and moves and transforms you into walking as Jesus walked. And may Cornerstone be a church that in every avenue that we go into, every facet of life, business and school, family and neighborhoods, parks and recreation, everything that's out there, with that primary love that stirs us to walk as Jesus walked, bring thriving bring flourishing, and bring life to anyone that we encounter. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for your word. I pray right now for those that are listening. Father, whether it's Sunday morning or it's another day, maybe they're at the gym working out, whatever it might be. 
Father, would you in the lives of Cornerstone, in the lives of those whose ears are hearing this right now, Father, if there's anything that's keeping them from you, any loves that are there that, Father, I believe your Holy Spirit might be drawing to the surface, would they just work through and seek out repentance from those things? Would they turn, and Father, would they not just turn anywhere, but would they turn and gaze on the greatness and the beauty of Jesus Christ? And those that don't know you right now, Father, I just beg you that your Holy Spirit, you would draw them to yourself that you would show them that you truly are love, that you give love, and that, Father, all the love that they lack is tied up in you so that they might love others. Those that know you, Father, would they not dwell or meddle in their second loves, their wrong second loves, but instead, Father, would their eyes be so enraptured with Jesus Christ, I beg you, that what comes from their life are Christians is cornerstone, is the church walking as Jesus walked so that the world might see what thriving, what flourishing, what life looks like because of the work of your son and the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, I acknowledge to you this is a miracle. Would you do this miracle in our lives right now? Cause us to be the people that you intend us to be. Stir us to be lovers of Jesus. In your precious name we pray, amen.